Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. An encounter with Jesus can change your life. Today, we're going to see how the lives of two disciples were drastically changed and their hopes were restored as they had a divine appointment with the risen Jesus. Part two of Cheryl's message titled, Opened. They were afraid to believe these women. Then he says, slow of heart to believe. You see, their heart was so closed and it was so slow to open and actually believe all that the prophets wrote. Slow to put the scriptures together with the events that were transpiring. Slow to remember the words of Jesus. Ought not the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? In other words, Jesus was saying it was fitting, it was right, ought not the Christ to have suffered. This was the plan of God throughout the ages. When Jesus had come to John the Baptist and asked John to baptize him, John the Baptist had first refused. And Jesus said, John, don't refuse for it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus lived an absolutely righteous life. And this was part of his righteous activity. As we're told in Philippians chapter two, to obey God completely, even to the point of death, death on a cross. It was fitting. It was the right thing to have suffered the condemnation, the brutalizing, the barbarism and evil of men. Jesus took the worst that men could give in order to give men his best, his righteousness, his salvation, his promises, his glory, and enter into his glory. These things did not keep Christ from glory. They did not disqualify him from glory. In fact, they were the door to his glory. He entered into the door of glory by suffering. Jesus then expounded from Genesis right through Malachi all the things concerning himself. My dad used to say if ever there was a sermon he wanted to hear, it was this sermon. When Jesus started in Genesis, probably with Genesis 3.15, which is called the Proto-Evangelium Scripture, that first foreshadows the need of man for a Redeemer that will crush the head of Satan and in the process be bruised. 
a foreshadowing of the suffering of the Messiah and yet the victory of the Messiah. He no doubt talked about Abraham and the sacrifice of Isaac, where God stopped Abraham from killing Isaac and provided a lamb. And Abraham named the place on Mount Moriah, Jehovah Jireh, or God will provide for in the Mount of the Lord, it shall be seen or provided. Perhaps he he talked about the testimony of Joseph, who was betrayed by his brothers, thrown into a pit, then sold to the Ishmaelites, went to Egypt, was betrayed by Potiphar's wife, thrown into prison, but became the prime minister of Egypt and saved Egypt and Israel, the children of Israel and the world at that time from famine. Perhaps he talked about Moses and having crossed the Red Sea, coming to the bitter water and God showing Moses a certain, a specific tree that he was supposed to place upon the water and the water becoming sweet because of the tree that was cut down and put into the water. Perhaps it was the rock that was struck that water might flow out. Perhaps he talked about Balaam's prophecy over Israel. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter, shall rise out of Israel, Numbers 24, 17. Maybe he talked about the promise to David, the Psalm, Psalm 22, the prophet speaking of the suffering of the Messiah, Isaiah 53, Jeremiah, Daniel, when he spoke of the Messiah being cut off, but not for himself, Ezekiel, Zechariah, and so many more. As Jesus spoke, their hearts were burning. The truth and glory began to dawn on them of the necessity of Jesus, the Messiah's suffering, condemnation, and death. It was all according to the plan of God. They could see it plainly in the scriptures as Jesus spoke to them. And then the reality of Jesus' resurrection as we read in Psalm 16, that he would not allow his Holy One to suffer corruption. Then of the glory of his person, that they realized that Jesus was greater than they ever imagined, than they ever saw or realized when they walked with him, when they heard him, when they saw him heal and work miracles. When they drew near Emmaus, Jesus indicated that he would continue on the road. But Cleopas and the other disciples, still not recognizing him, constrained him to abide with them. Perhaps they were hoping for another sermon. The first had been so good. His word had enthralled them and they were hungry for more. This had been the first comfort they had received since the crucifixion of Jesus. When they sat at the table, Jesus took the bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it. And he gave it to them. And at that moment, their eyes were opened. I love this Greek word open because it's the word diagnogo. And it means to be opened down to the soul. It is a complete opening. It, it means not just seeing, but perceiving and comprehending. It was down to their very soul. Their eyes were open. Their hearts were open. So, so far we have an open tomb, 
open eyes and open hearts. And the moment that their eyes were opened, Jesus vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, verse 32, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Previously, before Jesus knew, Cleopas and the other disciple were talking only of what appeared to be closed doors, disappointments from the religious community, disappointments about Israel's redemption, closed doors to Jesus' ministry. But as Jesus spoke to them about the doorway that he had entered in, the doorway that the Messiah had to walk through to glory, the doorway of suffering, the doorway of fulfilling all the scriptures from Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, Jesus opened up their hearts and put a fire in them burning with the truth. Jesus then opened their eyes to see him. It was only then that they realized that greater doors were open to them than had been shut. Doors of resurrection, doors of life. Luke 24 verses 33 through 43 speaks of a locked room. Cleopas and the other disciple rose up that very hour and went to Jerusalem. I wonder how fast that seven-mile trip back to Jerusalem was compared to this seven-mile trip to Emmaus. They found the disciples in a locked room, according to John 20, verse 19. They were actually hiding. The disciples were afraid, and they were perplexed. They had the testimony of the women. And then Peter had come back, claiming to have met with and seen the risen Lord. Cleopas and the other disciple entered the room and shared their story, their testimony about meeting Jesus on the road to Emmaus. And now those in this locked room were trying to process everything when suddenly Jesus is in their midst. He's not on the ceiling looking down on them. He's standing right in the very midst of these disciples. No walls, no locked doors could keep Jesus out. He stands in the midst of them and he says, peace be to you. Peace. This is the same peace that Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. The peace that passes understanding. The peace that will rule our hearts and minds. This is that peace. And he says, peace to you. He's not saying condemnation or shame on you for ditching me at Gethsemane or denying me in my trial or turning from me while I was on the cross or hiding in this room. There's no such talk. It's peace. He's saying, I'm coming in peace, in reconciliation to the heavenly Father. I'm bringing you peace, that peace that is comforting, that peace that guards, that peace that is divine, that peace that permeates our beings, that peace that holds us, that pervasive serenity that assures us that God is in complete, compassionate, caring control of our lives. That's the peace. And this peace, he says, peace to you, peace to you, upon you, with you, in you. Reconciliation with God is now accomplished because of Jesus' death and resurrection. The price of redemption has been met. They can close the door of their fear. They don't have to be fear of, fear of Jesus being angry with them or fear of condemnation of their own failures or fear of believing 
that if they really grasp onto Jesus, they'll be disappointed. There's no more fear of disappointment. Jesus went to the very source of their fears and doubts. He says, why, why, why are your hearts troubled and doubts arise? He says, I'm not a ghost. He knew that they were afraid to believe. They thought he was a spirit or an apparition or a vision or a ghost. They'd done the same thing when they were on the boat as Matthew recorded it in Matthew 14, verse 26. When he walked on the water toward them, they had cried out and thought he was a ghost because they didn't know that he had power over the waves and could walk upon the water. It was easier for them to believe in ghosts than the risen Lord. Jesus invited his disciples to touch him. John the disciple would rather recall this in 1 John 1, 1, when he wrote, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Jesus said, feel me. To Thomas in John chapter 20, he said, put your fingers into my hand, see the holes where the nails were. Put your hand into my side, feel where the spear went through. Feel it, touch me, I'm not a ghost. To further prove his reality, Jesus asked them, do you have any food? And they brought him some broiled fish and honey and he ate it in their sight. The locked room was meant to keep all fear out but it was no impediment for Jesus. Jesus has no closed doors. He alone closes and opens doors. But as you see Jesus' resurrected body, it also shows us what we will be like. First John chapter four, verse two, John says, beloved, we are now children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him like he is. We are not going to be, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, unembodied spirits, but we're going to have a body that is fit for our resurrected life, a body that is made for the conditions of heaven and the conditions of an earth where Jesus reigns in glory. A body that eats, a body that has no impediments like walls or tombs or death, a glorious body. Jesus then opens their understanding and opens the scriptures, opens all the promises of God and opens heaven to these disciples. As Jesus explains to disciples, that all things written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning him must be fulfilled. He opens their understanding that he might open the scriptures to them. Without open understanding, the scriptures will remain closed, even to us. Think about it. The chief priest and the scribes who copied the Bible, the lawyers who studied the law, and the Pharisees who sought to live by the law and the scriptures, it was closed to them. They never recognized Jesus. They never saw prophecy being fulfilled before their eyes, even though it was obvious. It was absolutely obvious. You see, it's possible. It is absolutely possible to read the scripture 
but have our understanding closed. So it doesn't apply to our lives. We compartmentalize it, we relegate it, or we think it's for others. And we never see that it's for us. So Jesus opens their understanding because without this open understanding, when we come to the scriptures, we will only see rules, rituals, battles, brutality, and obligations. But those with open understanding coming to the scriptures perceive a gracious creator, a rebellious mankind, a righteous and deadly breach between the two. The Son of God coming to breach the gap through his sacrificial death to bring man back into reconciliation with God. And they perceive the glorious plans of God that are yet to unfold. Jesus opened the scriptures to them as he did to Cleopas and the other disciple on the Emmaus road. And we realize that the volume of the book was written about Jesus, even as it says in Psalm 40, verse six through nine. Every story in the Bible is a story of man's failure and a cry for a redeemer. Every story is the story of the need of a mediator between God and man. A mediator righteous enough to be in the presence of God, but compassionate enough to understand the walk and life of sinful man. Every battle in the Bible shows the brutality of men and the fallen state of nations. And every cruel act shows the deception of man and the need to be delivered from himself and his own nature. The Bible, by way of example, presents Jesus, the Savior, through heroes of the Bible, through the temple sacrifices, and prophesies his coming, his compassion, his suffering, his resurrection, his rapture of the church, and his return to rule and reign. Then Jesus opens the promises resulting from his suffering and death, verses 46 through 47. Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. Now we have the door of God's promises open to us. This door was closed because of sin. Every promise of God was conditional in the Old Testament. If you obey, then you can receive this promise. But no one was ever good enough, obedient enough, righteous enough until Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law. He obeyed God completely from his heart, his mind, his soul, his spirit, his entire being. He said, I always do those things which please my father. And only Jesus was worthy of inheriting the promises of God. And then he wrote those promises in his will that should he die, we would inherit those promises. And then he died on the cross that we might inherit the promises that only he deserved, that only he earned, that only he merited. And the promise of the Holy Spirit and all the promises of God are now ours because of Jesus. Heaven has been opened to us because of Jesus. Death is no longer a closed door, but a transport. 
Jesus led the disciples as far as Bethany, and he conversed with them on the way, answering their questions about Israel. You see, they wanted to know, they were at the closed door, when is Israel going to become a nation? And Jesus said, that's a closed door right now. You know, they wanted to say, Lord, when are you going to open that door? Is now the time to open that door? And Jesus said this in Acts 1, verses 7 through 8, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. You see, there are certain closed doors to us now. The closed doors of knowing the times and the seasons. We can know a little bit. We can glimpse it, but we can't be professionals because the Father has put that information, that knowledge, that door in his own hand. But this is where our concentration is supposed to be. Here's the open door. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. God has opened the door of his promises and the promise of the power of the Holy Spirit to make us witnesses all over the world. It's an open door. Jesus then blessed his disciples, lifting up his hands. And as he blessed them, he was parted from them and heaven opened and received Jesus from their sight. Heaven is now open to us because Jesus opened heaven to us. We're told in Ephesians that he led captivity captive and led them right up to heaven. What is your response to open doors? The disciples previously to the resurrection had had a concentration on closed doors. And closed door concentration can lead to fear, frustration, despair, disillusionment, isolation, anger, resentment, misunderstanding, and spiritual stagnation. Whereas the disciples, realizing the divine open doors they had through Jesus, were told in verse 52, they worshiped and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Yes, God closes doors. But remember, every time God closes doors, He has opened glorious and effectual doors for us. And we need to look for those doors that God has opened to us. We are no longer ever separated from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, because of the doors that he has opened. Through Christ, we have great and effectual doors open to us. And the open tomb, the open hearts, the open eyes, the open understanding, the open scriptures, the open promise, the open heaven, only give testimony of the beginning of the glories to come as we walk through the doors God has opened to us through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. My friends, don't keep knocking, crying, despairing, sitting outside, barking at the closed doors in your life. Like the women, quit despairing over the impediments that aren't there. God already rolled away the stone. You won't find Jesus among the dead. He is among the living. Like Cleopas and the other disciple, in your conversation, don't let it be sad. 
because Jesus even now is drawing near to you and wants to open the door of your heart and your eyes to see that he is with you. And you're not in, you're not in grief, but you're in glory. He wants to open your eyes to the truer reality of life abundant that he has already given you. Like the other disciples in the closed room, he wants to open your understanding, his word, his promises, and heaven itself and all its resources to you. These things, says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. When Jesus rose from the dead, he defeated sin and death and made a way for us to be reconciled to God. He closed the door to death forever and opened the door to eternal life. Not only that, but we have the opportunity now to live our lives in relationship with God, united with Him in love as His children. All the blessings and promises of God are available to us because of Jesus. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look at the certainty of God's promises as we begin our new series in the book of Joshua titled Possessing the Promises with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.